Good morning. My name is Mark. Hi, my name is Hayden. I'm Paul. My name is Diana Nichols, and I'm an artist. My name is Melinda. My name's uh, Rich. My name's Ryan, and these are my chickens. My name is Mike. Hi, my name is Zach. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bree, and I love coffee. Like, I totally love it. I, I, it's a problem. Probably the craziest thing I ever did was I put a backpack on and bought a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And my goal was to live there for one year, and I did it. Uh, this is my friend Lucy. She's a dog. I'm heading to the office. So I'm doing my best to cut back those, and uh, this is my first cup today, so. I have a pregnant wife and a pregnant goat, both do at the same time, and I'm trying to figure out where do I end up when the birthing happens. Uh, I love infomercials. Uh, God took Lisa and uh, me to uh, Vietnam to adopt our daughter. I bought a few products and my wife's not very happy about that. And I am a lifetime U2 fan. And I'm a cosmetology student. My life changed when? My life changed when? And my life changed when? 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 And my life changed when? And my life changed when? My life changed when? Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in a, uh, a church-wide series right now uh, that we've been calling My Life Changed When. And uh, if you're just kind of jumping in with this series, what we've been doing is we've been talking about those moments and those circumstances that God oftentimes uses in life um, to, uh, to change our lives. It's kind of the pivot points uh, that God uses in our lives. And if you were with us last week, you might remember we said that uh, my life changed when moment can be anything that's from the monumental um, and the joyful things in life all the way to the painful and the hurtful things that we face in life and even some of the mundane things that we face in life. And we said that those my life changed when stories are really the things that when we look back at the course of our life, we can look back and say, when that happened, when that circumstance took place, when that moment um, occurred, my life was changed and the trajectory of my life course changed in a significant way. And so through this series, what we've been doing is we've been talking about those moments and those circumstances. We've also been challenging everyone at all of our campuses to, to share those stories. And so uh, Clark mentioned earlier, and if you're with us last week, you may have seen in your program, um, there are some directions and how to hashtag my life changed when and to share that story. And I'll tell you, it's been really neat to be able to watch some of those stories on Facebook this week and to hear from some of you of how your life has changed and how God has used that. By the way, this might be a great opportunity for me just to plug. There's a website called uh, www.mylifechange.org. And uh, on that webpage, there's a collection of those hashtags, and you can see some of the stories uh, from My Life Change. And so it's been kind of neat to see how different people have uh, kind of shared those stories together. This morning, what I want to do, each week we're looking kind of at a different My Life Changed When circumstance or moment. This morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the topic of My Life Changed When Someone Invested in Me. My Life Changed When Someone invested in me. And uh, the way I want to go about this, I kind of want to go in a roundabout way uh, to kind of talk about this topic. So about two years ago, just a little over two years ago, we started services here at the Medina East Campus for the first time. And so we began services in December of 2012, right before Christmas. And uh, I'll never forget the Sunday before Christmas, um, I had something happen to me that was really crazy, really, really wild experience. And, and for some of you, if you guys were here when we first started this campus, you might actually remember this because I talked about it right after it happened. But on Christmas, uh, the Sunday before Christmas, we had services. And uh, like I said, we had just started um, church here together at this campus. And so it literally was like the second or third week that we had, we had services together. And after services that Sunday, I got in my car and I was driving home. 
And uh, it was kind of a long drive because I was still living down in Akron at the time. I had the radio going in the background, and I was just kind of, just, just had a bunch of stuff on my mind when I was driving. Um, there was, uh, we were in a time of serious transition. Obviously, we just had started the campus. And so I had just a myriad of details kind of swarming through my mind. Um, there was a, a lot of uh, challenges that we were facing as a new campus. There was a lot of exciting things that we were facing as a new campus. I had those things kind of swirling in my mind. And then, of course, it was the Sunday before Christmas Eve services. So I had all those details in my mind. So I was thinking about all this stuff, and I was driving. And I remember I was in the, I was in the slow lane going down the expressway, and there was a car that was in front of me, and he was going, I mean, just obnoxiously slow. Uh, like, the speed limit was probably 60, 65, and this dude was going, like, 40 tops. And so, obviously, I kind of slow down, and, uh, and, I'm, and I look in the rearview mirror. I'm kind of waiting for my turn to pass. And as I see in the rearview mirror, there's no opportunity, so I'm stuck behind this guy. So I'm trying to keep my cool, and I'm just driving. Again, I'm still thinking about all the stuff that's going on. Um, in our church at that time. I glance back up in the rearview mirror, and, the, and, and when I do this, I see, in the rearview mirror, I see this SUV, I mean, just barreling down the highway. I mean, he is just blazing. And, uh, and I look up, and I'm like, man, he's going fast. And, and he kept getting closer and closer. And then I remember I thought to myself, this dude's going to hit me. Like, like he is going to hit me. And then as he kept getting closer and closer, I became certain. This dude's going to hit me. And I tensed up real, real, real tight, which they say is like the worst thing you can do if you're going to have like a massive impact. But I tensed up real tight. And at the very last minute, I mean, just the last moment, this guy swerves around me. And it's um, squealing tires and the whole bit. And he swerves into the, the, to the uh, passing lane. And, up, and as soon as he gets in the passing lane, he proceeds to overcorrect and slam into the front of my car. And I remember thinking, well, that's fascinating, right? <laughs> and, um, and that set off this next series of events that I remember so vividly. I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen where you get such a surge of adrenaline that it feels like everything begins moving in slow motion. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's exactly what happened. I remember this next sequence of events so vividly because it seemed like it happened so slow. And here's what I remember. I remember as soon as he hit me, I remember the sound, and it was so loud. And then I remember my car turning, and I was facing oncoming traffic on the expressway. And I remember thinking, I'm spinning. My car is spinning. And then the airbags went off. And I remember the airbags deploying. And after they deployed, the next thing I remember seeing was just ground sky, ground sky, ground sky. And then I remember thinking, I'm rolling. Right? And, and this, was, this was my series of thoughts. I remember thinking, I'm spinning. And I thought, I'm rolling. And the next thought that occurred to me was, I'm dying. I thought, I thought to myself, this is it. This is it. You know, I'm, not, I'm not walking out of this one. This is, this is the end of it for me. And, and I know that this, this sounds like a lot to think in one moment, but I'm telling you, I remember it so vividly because I remember thinking to myself this. I remember thinking, if this is my time, if it's time for me to die, I'm okay with that. I remember thinking, I'm ready for that. I'm at peace with Jesus. I know Jesus. I know him, and I'm ready to meet him if I need to. And I remember thinking that. But in the very next thought, I remember kind of praying slash thinking to myself, but man, not now, God. Please, not now. And, and as soon as I thought that, there was three things or four things that went through my mind. I remember thinking about first my wife. I thought about Jess. I thought, man, I can't imagine um, life without, or like, can't imagine what she would go through if, 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 if God was to take me at this time. I thought about our boys, who at that time, they were three and two years old. I thought about my family. Quite honestly, you guys, I thought about you. Um, not all of you, because I didn't know you yet. 
And some of you I did, and I didn't think of you. Uh, but uh, I thought about, I honestly, I thought about our church. And I, I remember thinking, not, not that this church needs me, but I remember thinking, man, God, we just got started, you know. And as soon as I had prayed that and thought that, what had happened was my car had flipped two and a half times. I landed on its side. So the passenger side was in a ditch, and I was literally hanging on by my seatbelt. It was kind of there in the air. And as soon as the car stopped and kind of came to a standstill, I remember I just sort of stopped, and I looked around. And I remember I kind of patted myself down. And I was like, I'm okay. I was like, I'm okay. And it's funny the things that you remember, because one of the things I remember is that the engine was still running when the car came to a standstill. And I remember the song that was on the radio. It was that, uh, you guys remember that Carly Rae Jepsen song? The, hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. But here's my number, so call me maybe. And I remember thinking, this is not the right time, Carly Rae. And I... Shut it off. I shut the engine off. And long story short, I climbed. I rolled down the window. I climbed out of the car. I walked away from that accident with just a small scrape on my hand. And the other guy who had hit me, he rolled his car two times. He walked away uh, with just a cut on his hand. It was a miracle that we walked away virtually unscathed. What I find so fascinating about that circumstance is what I was thinking about when the car was rolling and what I wasn't thinking about. Um, when, I, when my car was in that position and I was confronted with the fact that I was probably going to die... It's amazing to me that there was really, the thing that came to my mind was relationships. I thought about my wife, I thought about my boys, I thought about our church, I thought about my family. And I, what I also find fascinating is what I wasn't thinking about. I wasn't thinking about my car. It's the last thing I was thinking about, which, by the way, I had only had this car for two weeks before this happened, which is a good thing, by the way, because the car I had before that was a Ford Escort. And if you guys know anything about Ford Escorts, they are like street legal go-karts. <laughs> I, I would have been destroyed if that would have happened. And... Um, and, and, and so I wasn't thinking about my car. I wasn't thinking about my house. I wasn't thinking about, in fact, the details that were bothering me and were consuming my mind only moments before this happened, none of them were in my mind. And it just reminded me, and I'm sure that if you guys have been in a situation like that, when you've been confronted with your own temporariness, when you've been reminded of your own brevity and your own frailty, my guess is that like me, it's in those moments that the things that matter the most in life suddenly become crystal clear, right? and it becomes very obvious. And 99.9% .9 of the things that we tend to worry ourselves with, and 99.9% .9 of the things that we tend to have anxiety over in the grand scheme of things really don't matter at all anyway. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I actually want to take you to a passage of the Bible today where we find the Apostle Paul in a situation that's very much like that. We're going to find ourselves in a situation where these are the last words that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he wrote them in the face of imminent death. He knew he was going down. And so it's in these last moments that he writes this letter. He is days, potentially even hours from his death, and it's in that moment that we get to see some of Paul's last thoughts. And I want to check those out with you. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to take them with me, let's turn to, Tide, or to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's going to be found, by the way, on page 833. In those Bibles that we have laid out there for you, page 833, is where you're going to find 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, as you guys are flipping there, let me just give you a little more background on kind of what's going on with Timothy here and, uh, and what this is all about, kind of the circumstances. Um, so the book of 2 Timothy was written by a guy named Paul. Uh, some of you know Paul was uh, in the early church. He was kind of a heavy hitter. He was one of the major leaders in the early Christian movement. And Timothy, uh, Paul writes this letter to a guy named Timothy, who was kind of Paul's protege. And the circumstance in which he writes this book is he writes while he's in prison. And he is awaiting certain death underneath a leader, by a, a, a kind of a tyrant leader by the name of Nero. 
the Apostle Paul finds himself in prison here, and, uh, and he is facing execution. And as I said, he is um, maybe days, maybe hours away uh, from experiencing this. And so it's in these last moments that he gets out a pen and paper, and he writes this letter to this guy, Timothy. We're going to look at, and by the way, I just encourage you, if you get a chance to read the whole book, but we're just going to look at verses 9 to 15. So let's check these out together, okay? Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to, my, to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come to me, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. And the Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Okay, let's close in prayer. That's all we got this morning. So I'm just kidding. Uh, I know it's a strange passage. Some of you are like, is that the passage we're reading this morning? Yeah, that's a passage. And I know that's strange and it's weird, right? Like this is not going to be one of the top 10 most memorized passages in the Bible. It's not going to make, you're not going to get this embroidered anywhere, right? Like I don't know anyone who's like, whenever I'm in a time of trouble, and I'm just going through a hard time. I just quote to myself from 2 Timothy 4 when Paul said, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, you know, and Carpus I left in Troas. And it just, it just satisfies my soul. Like, I don't know what I'm saying that, right? And, and the reason is because uh, these verses tend to be verses that we just skim right past. We read these names that are unfamiliar. We read about Demas. We read about Carpus, uh, which, by the way, can we just admit, Carpus? That's got to be one of the weirdest Bible names out there. I know um, in the course of time that I've been a pastor, I've done a good amount of um, baby dedications and a good amount of, uh, of hospital visitations. And I can tell you, I have yet to hold a little carpus. That's not happened. I know people are naming their babies um, after Bible names. And so let me just say that if you guys are expecting right now, I'm just saying, maybe carpus. Right? I'm just going with that one. And, uh, but we, we, we like look at this passage and we tend to just kind of like breeze past these things because it's full of names we're unfamiliar with and places that we're unfamiliar with. But I just got to tell you, when the Apostle Paul is facing death and he knows that, he's, that this is the end of his life, right? We kind of seize that here. What, what is he thinking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's thinking about. He's thinking about these relationships. He's thinking about these, these men in his life. And if, if you guys know anything about the Apostle Paul, man, each one of these stories, each one of these names... Um, is, it has an amazing amount of history. It has an amazing backstory behind it. You could do a whole series just on this passage. The Apostle Paul was the kind of guy who was continually and perpetually investing his life in other people. It was his aim and his ambition in life to help people grow in the faith in Jesus Christ. And he would do everything in his power to help people to that end. And this list of guys that we see here, most of them were guys who were personally invested in by the Apostle Paul. And some of that went well, and some of that didn't go good. But the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he's sitting in a prison cell, and what is he thinking about? What is he writing about? Well, he's thinking about those relationships, the guys that he's invested in. And I think when we think about the investment the Apostle Paul made, um, not only in the church in the ancient world, but in the lives of the people that he invested in, there is one relationship that towers over all of them. And it's, it's a name of a guy who, strangely enough, his name doesn't appear in this passage, but it's the, the name of the guy in which the book is written. That's Timothy. That's Timothy. When you think about all of the investments that the Apostle Paul made in individual lives, the people he poured into, there is one relationship when you read the Bible that stands above all the others, and that is Timothy. 
And I'm just telling you, when you read into the story of Paul and Timothy, you're going to find out really quickly that Timothy is a guy that would say, my life changed when someone invested in me, when the apostle Paul took time and invested in me. And so what I want to do real briefly is I want to talk about how the apostle Paul invested in Timothy. I want to tell you three ways that he did that. And then I want to spend the rest of our time talking about how that applies to you and I. Okay, so let me just give you a little bit of history on Paul and Timothy. Timothy, uh, Paul invested in Timothy in a very meaningful way. And the first way that he did that was he invited him in. He invited him in. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down if you want to. He invited him in. And the way that he did this um, was a very significant way. The, the, the time that we first meet Timothy was in uh, Acts chapter 16. And I would uh, encourage you, you don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you to check it out. And if you're taking notes, write that reference down. Uh, but basically in Acts chapter 16, we see the first time that Paul meets Timothy. We're told that Paul goes to this city. Paul's been preaching and teaching. He's been planting churches and preaching the gospel. He goes to this city called Lystra, we're told. And when he's in Lystra, he encounters a young man for the very first time, a guy named Timothy. Uh, Commentators and scholars believe that Timothy at this time was probably in his late teens, real young dude. And a couple things we learn about Timothy. We learn that he was raised primarily by his mom and his grandma. His mother and his grandma are both mentioned by name in 2 Timothy, and they're told that they have incredible faith. So mom and grandma were strong Christians, and they raised Timothy. And Acts chapter 16 tells us that Timothy's dad, the way it's worded, most commentators would kind of speculate that Timothy's dad was probably an unspiritual guy, and he was probably uninvolved. And so you get this picture, most commentators would agree, Timothy was raised by mom and grandma, dad was kind of out of the picture. Mom and grandma were the Christians, they loved God, uh, and dad was sort of unreligious and wasn't really involved in those things. I know for some of you, that's exactly your story. For some of you, as you, as you think about your My Life Changed When story, and you look back at your upbringing, you might say, you know, that whole picturesque family where mom and dad and the family go to church together and they're all happy and smiling in the minivan, you're like, that wasn't my story. For some of you, dad was out of the equation. For some of you, mom was out of the equation. For some of you, both of your parents were uninvolved or were not instrumental in any of those things. I'm just telling you, if that's you, man, that's Timothy. That was Timothy. Dad was out of the equation. And so when the apostle Paul comes into town, comes into Lystra, he meets Timothy. The Bible tells us that he's impressed with with Timothy. And so you know what he does? He invites him in. He goes to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, how would you like to join my team? How would you like to come with me and this group of men and go do ministry with me on my missionary journeys? And the Bible says from that point forward, from Acts 16 forward, Paul and Timothy are nearly inseparable. And they go on to do a lot of stuff together. They do ministry together. They plant churches together. They co-author books of the Bible together. And these guys are bound together. So the Apostle Paul invested in Timothy. And one of the ways that he did that primarily was he invited him in. But that's not all he did. He invited him in, but then the scripture also gives us indication that the Apostle Paul also poured himself out he poured out. And when I say he poured out, what I mean is he invited Timothy to have a special access to his life that not everyone had. And in fact, uh, one of the great passages in this is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. I'll put it up on the screen, but you can also just check it out. It's, It's just one chapter before right there in your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what it says. The apostle Paul says to Timothy, you, however, you know about my teaching My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. You guys see that? The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, he's like, you, buddy, bro, you know all about me, man. You know my life. You you, you know not only my teaching, but you know my way of life. 
You know my persecutions. You know my sufferings. You remember what happened in Iconium? You remember what went down in Lystra? You remember all that stuff. And the real question is, how would Timothy know that? How would he have that information? And the only way he would have that is if the Apostle Paul invites him in and poured out and let him in to have special access to his life that no one else had. See, Apostle Paul says, you didn't just know my teaching. You knew the way of life that I had. You didn't just know my doctrine. You knew my character. This wasn't just a relationship where I was the teacher and you were the student, and that was it. You had full access You watched the way I live my life in public. You watched the way I live my life in private. And I poured into you. The Apostle Paul invites him in. He pours himself out. And the last thing I want you to see is this, is he builds Timothy up. He builds him up. Once again, when you go through scripture and you read about Timothy, one of the impressions you're going to get when you read about this young guy is Timothy was probably a young, insecure leader. And, uh, and the impression that we have from the Apostle Paul's writings and what we know about Timothy is that he was kind of a timid young guy um, who, was, who had amazing gifts, had an amazing servant's heart, but had a hard time believing in himself. And so the Apostle Paul, not only does he invite Timothy in, not only does he pour himself out, but he's always coaching him, man. He's always coming alongside him saying, Timothy, you can do this thing, man. God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. And, and you can use those things. In fact, let me just give you... One example, in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, fan the flame of the gift of God, which has been put in you through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God gave us not, uh, the Spirit that God has given us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed about the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join in me with the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. And you guys hear his voice? Paul's telling Timothy, he's like, man, don't be timid, buddy. And you might not believe in yourself, but you need to believe in the God who has given you the gifts that he's given you. Don't be timid. In one place, he looks at Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. The apostle Paul, man, he invited him in. He poured himself out. He gave unique access to Timothy, and then he built him up in the faith. And the Bible tells us that because of that, Timothy's life changed. And when you read about Timothy and you read about what the, some of the things he went on to do, man, it's incredible. Uh, just, just the impact that this guy had made a significant impact in his life. God changed Timothy and he used Paul to do it. In fact, some of you might not know this. Um, in fact, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, my guess is you probably know very little about Timothy. But when you start reading the New Testament, you see the guy everywhere. He shows up everywhere. Twelve of the books of the New Testament... Uh, involved Timothy in some way. He either co-authored them or they were written to him. That's one-third of the New Testament in which Timothy has either co-authored or the books that were written to him. He is everywhere, right? Every strategic meeting you see in the Bible, every major event that's happening, Timothy is somewhere in the picture. He's like the the photo bomber of the New Testament, right? You're like, oh, there's a picture of, of Luke and there's a picture of Paul and who's that in the background? Oh, there's Timothy again, right? Guy just shows up everywhere, And we kind of get this impression. The apostle Paul loved Timothy. And so whenever he had a major issue going on in the church that needed to be addressed, he sent Timothy. So when the church in Ephesus needed to raise leaders, he sent Timothy, right? When the the Corinthian church needed encouragement and they needed someone to talk to him, he sent Timothy. When Paul started a new church in Berea and he had to leave because his life was threatened, guess who he put in charge? Timothy, right? This guy is everywhere. In fact, when the apostle Paul writes about Timothy, we have recorded for us his opinion of him. Let me just read this for you real quick. This is in Philippians chapter two. The apostle Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him 
who will show genuine concern for your welfare because everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he serveth me in the work of the gospel. And Paul says, man, I got no one like him. This dude's awesome. This dude's the real deal. And the apostle Paul invested in Timothy and because of that, God changed Timothy's life and he used Paul to do it. Now, of course, the question you guys might be wondering is, okay, so why are you talking so much about this guy, Timothy? Why are you talking about this guy? I'll tell you why. Because for some of you, you can really sympathize with this story. Timothy's a guy that would say, my life changed when someone invested in me. And for some of you, when you look back at, at your life, you can see very clearly there are relationships that God has put in your life that had he not put those relationships strategically in those places, that your life would not be in the place that it is today. For some of you, you, you like Timothy would say, my life changed when that person invested in me. And it might've been a teacher, it could've been a coach, it might've been a pastor, it could've been a life group leader. Maybe it was a friend that you had, but you're like, because God allowed our paths to cross for that time, the trajectory of my life has changed in an amazing way. And my life changed, even though I didn't see it in the moment, I see it in retrospect, that because of that person, my life is different. My life changed when someone invested in me. When someone took the time and when someone took a risk, and because of that, I'm a different person. And listen, here, here's the thing. If that's your story and you can relate to that, I'll just be completely transparent with you. One of the reasons I get so passionate about this topic and one of the reasons that I actually requested that I could teach this week when we were preparing for this series, I remember I asked the other guys, I said, could I teach that one? Could I teach that one? And you know why I did that? Because honestly, this is a major part of my story. This is a major part of when my life changed when someone invested in me. You guys, when I look back at, at my life and I look back at the story of my life, there's obviously a lot of my life changed when moments, just like yours. But some of the most pronounced moments of when my life changed involved people who invested in me. There's a handful of people, two or three guys, that come to my mind immediately when I think of Paul and Timothy. Uh, one of those guys that comes to my mind that I could say my life changed when someone invested in me is a guy you know. He's a very ugly man. Um, he, uh, he was on screen here last week and actually was here in person as well as Pastor Jeff Boak. And if you guys don't know Pastor Jeff, I'm just telling you, my life's different because of him. And uh, he invited me in and he poured himself out and he, he built me up. And I'm just telling you that um, my life has changed uh, because of the leadership of that man. And I, my prayer is I could be half the leader Jeff is. He is a phenomenal leader. Um, but the, the first person that comes to my mind when I think about my life changed when someone invested in me, it happened when I was 18 years old. So I, I uh, some of you might know a little of my story. I came to know Jesus and started following him when I was 17. And pretty quickly after I started following Jesus, I signed up to go on a summer long uh, kind of ministry trip called Operation Barnabas. Operation Barnabas was a group of teenagers with some adult leaders. And we would travel around the country on a big blue bus and do ministry experiences in different churches around the country. And uh, so I signed up to do this. And, uh, and I had a leader that was on my team, a guy named Timothy Kurtanik. Uh, we called him TK. I'm just telling you that the 40 days I had with him that summer absolutely changed my life, absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. I remember I went to orientation for uh, Operation Barnabas. It was in Warsaw, Indiana. I walked into orientation. I knew I did not know another soul. I didn't know even one other person. There's a hundred teenagers there. I didn't know any, anybody. And, and being kind of a shy person, 
I remember I was really kind of intimidated walking in, and one of the first people that I interacted with was Timothy Kurtanik. And TK came right up to me, and before I could even say hi, he knew my name. And one of the things I found out later was that when you apply to go on Operation Barnabas, you send a picture of yourself along with some detailed information about yourself, and TK would literally memorize every teenager that was coming. And he would know them by name the moment you walked in. I walked in, and he knew my name. And he said, Tony, and he showed me around, and he introduced me to people, and he made me feel welcome. That summer, Tim, uh, Timothy Kurtanik, he invited me in. He poured himself out. He would constantly challenge me and coach me. His family was on the, the team with us. He had two little kids at the time, and I had access to watch not only how he interacted with his wife, but also how he interacted with his kids. And I'm telling you, he gave me access to his life in a powerful way. He invited me in. He poured himself out, and he built me up. TK was the first guy that ever challenged me to preach a sermon. He coached me through it. He helped me through my insecurities. When I preached my first sermon, he sat in the front row. And then afterwards, when I was done, I sat down next to him and he put his arm around me and he prayed for me and he said, dude, you got a gift and you need to fan the flame of that gift. I'm just telling you, my life changed because of an investment of TK. and and, And when I look at the trajectory of my life, I see very clearly that was a pivot point. It was 40 days of my interaction with TK. Now, for some of you, when I start telling that story, uh, you can relate to that. And you can think back to, and maybe it was just a short amount of time, maybe it was a long amount of time, but you think back to a parent or a friend or a coworker or a coach or a pastor, and you're like, man, my life changed when someone invested me in that. They invited me in, they poured themselves out, and they built me up. The truth is, for many of us in this room, we can't relate to that. And honestly, if you're a person that's like, that sounds really neat and everything, but that never happened for me. I wish it would, ha- wish it would have happened to me, but it didn't happen to me. Let me just say that quite honestly, unfortunately, uh, you're actually probably part of the majority. And um, I probably don't need to take much time to convince you um, that the, the importance of mentorship and discipleship, that the value of it is absolutely insurmountable. I don't need to take much time to convince you of that. And I probably don't need to take much time to convince you either that the need is massive. And not just for young people, but for all ages, for married couples, for uh, people with children, for at any stage of life, this is something that is so needed. Let me just give you one example, one place in life where this is needed. And like I said, it's needed all over the map. But let me just talk real briefly, for example, about young men, about the need for mentorship and discipleship with young men in our country today. There's a um, research team. And a guy named Philip Zimbardo, he's a psychologist and professor at Stanford University. He wrote a book, it's called The Demise of Guys. And in that book, he maintains that the proliferation of video games and pornography have left young men without basic social skills. So basically what this guy says in his book, he says because of excessive video game use and pornography use, young men today lack the ability to set real goals and achieve them and to interact with the opposite sex in a meaningful way. And he talks about this. He, he goes on to give some statistics. He says that by age 21, the average young man today spends 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours. Just to give you some picture of time, it takes half that time to get your bachelor's degree. Half that time. Uh, in addition to that, he also points out that in the 1970s, the porn, the porn industry was a $10 million industry. Today, it is a $13.3 billion industry. 
talks about the fact that children by the age 12, most of them have encountered hardcore pornography on the internet without even meaning to, just on accident because they were searching for something innocent. And it's because of that that he says that young men today lack social skills. They lack uh, the ability to set real goals and achieve them because of the proliferation of these things. Now you take that, you compound that with the fact that from day one today in America, when children are born, 40% of homes are born without a dad from day one. That doesn't involve divorce. That doesn't include parents who leave later on in the game. From day one, dad's not around. And I don't think it, need, I don't need to take much time to convince you that this is a massive need. There's an African proverb that says this, if you do not initiate your young men into the tribe, they'll come back and burn down the village just to feel the heat. And that's just young men. We could talk about young women. We could give statistics about young married couples, about those with children. I'm just saying there's a massive need for Paul's to, to invite in, to pour out, and to build up. And the truth is, you guys, honestly, I think we all desire this, don't we? I think it's something that we all crave. And Hollywood even knows this. Ben Stewart, um, leader of Breakaway Ministries at Texas A&M University, he, he pointed out a brilliant point, right? And he said this, right? Ewan McGregor, when he wanted to train to be a Jedi, right? Who did he go to? He had to sit at the feet of Liam Neeson, right? And then later... When Christian Bale wanted to become Batman and Batman Begins, he had to sit at the feet of Liam Neeson, right? And then later on, even yet, when Orlando Bloom wanted to be a crusader in the kingdom of God, he had to sit at the tutelage of Liam Neeson, right? Which begs a really important question, right? What the heck is up with Liam Neeson, right? That guy's awesome. But here's the truth. Hollywood knows this, don't they? They know that we all want a Jedi master in our lives, we all want someone who's going to show us the ropes and teach us things, who's going to invite us in, who's going to pour themselves out, and who's going to build us up. And there's a deep need for this in our culture. For some of you, when I say my life changed when someone invested in me, you can relate with that. That's part of your story. For some of you, you can't. But here's the good news. For all of us, this is something we can do for somebody else. When you think about, man, I wish someone would have done that for me, here's the good news. We can all do that for somebody. We can all invite someone in. We can all pour our lives out for the sake of someone else and we can help build somebody else up. I think this is what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and invest these ways because Jesus knew this was the most quality way to grow and he knew that this was the most, the most tangible way in which we would see true growth happen and he loved it for those reasons. That, all of that brings me to this, to this one observation and question I wanna ask you. Here's the question I wanna pose to you this morning. What if... What if the greatest impact that you make in this world is not something, but it's someone? What if the greatest investment that you make in this life is not a thing, it's not an accomplishment, but what if it's a person? What if it's not a what, but it's a who? What if the greatest investment you can make is not in your 401k, it's not in an IRA, it's not in some investment scheme? What if the greatest investment you can make is pouring yourself into another person? What if the greatest achievement that you have in this life is not the name you build for yourself and your accomplishments, but what if it's the name that you raise up in another person? Because here's what I believe, you guys. I believe when we find ourselves in the moments when the car is rolling, when we find ourselves in the moments when we're in prison awaiting the certainty of death, in the moments we're confronted with the temporariness of life, the brevity of life, in the moments where we realize that, that this is it and and all of a sudden things come into sharp focus, my guess is that a large percent of the things that we spend our time in investing in and pursuing aren't really gonna matter at all. 
And it's because of this that I believe that this is something that all of us can do to invest, to invite in, to pour out, and to build up. And here's the amazing thing, and I'll end with this. Here's the most amazing thing. I can honestly say, when you read this, this passage, one of the coolest things is that you can say that Timothy's life changed when Paul invested in him, but the truth is that Paul's life changed when he invested in Timothy. It's an amazing thing. And I could tell you from my own life, I can verify that with 100% confidence. My life changed when TK invested in me. But I can also tell you this, my life changed when I invested in somebody else. And you know, you guys see this. The Apostle Paul, he had a unique affection and love for Timothy. They had such a strong friendship, so much so that at the end of his life, he's writing a letter to the guy. The first guy that comes to his mind when he's about to die is he writes to Timothy. And I just want you to glance once again, just real quick, down at the words that he tells Timothy. Look, look, look again at Second uh, Timothy 4. Look what he says here. Look at verse 9. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. He says, I'm about to go, Timothy. Get here quick. Get here quick before it's too late. Then notice what he says. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. I love verse 11. Only Luke is with me. I don't know why. I kind of find that humorous. Um, I don't know if you guys know anything about Luke. Luke uh, was a very famous guy, too. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. Very smart guy. He was a doctor. Um, He was also kind of a researcher. So you get this impression. Luke was probably kind of a nerd, you know, a little bit of an egghead. So probably not the best company, right? And so when I read read this, I, I couldn't help but wonder if this was, like, out of desperation, you know, if the Apostle Paul's like, get here, man. Only Luke is here, you know? And I can't watch any more Star Trek reruns. You gotta get here, dude. He's like, get here. And, and he's like, quick, right? But then look what he says in verse 13. When you come, bring my cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and especially the parchments. Here's what I find fascinating. When the Apostle Paul was confronted with his own death and he knew that, that was, it was certain, he said, I only want three things. I want my coat because he was cold. He was in prison, right? It was a dank dungeon. He's like, I, I, I want that. He's like, I want, I want my parchments, which commentators all agree, that was his Bible. He's like, I want my coat, I want my Bible. He says, I want my Timothy. Dude, I want you here, man. Bro, I need you by my side now that I'm going down. I'm just telling you, Timothy's life changed when Paul invested in him, but Paul's life changed when he invested in Timothy. It's an amazing thing. So here's, here's the challenge I wanna leave to you this morning, and then we'll pray. My challenge is this. If you're a person that would say, when you look back at your life and you say, my life changed when someone invested in me, I want to challenge you to share that story, okay? And uh, as I said, you can do that in the ways that you can hashtag my life changed when someone invested in me, right? Uh, If you want to do that, you can. If you want to write a letter to that person, you can do that. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to share that story specifically with the person who invested in you. If they're still alive, is share that story with the person who I'm sure that would encourage their heart. And I guarantee you, they would tell you the same thing, that their life changed because of you too. I wanna challenge you to do that. And for all of us, I wanna challenge us to pray and ask God, would we be willing to be people like Paul who would invite in, who would pour out and who would build up, right? I think it's what God's called every believer of Jesus Christ to in disciple making, but would you be willing to prayerfully consider that as well? Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your word to us this morning. And um, the truth is, Jesus, that for all of us, whether we think it or not, whether we believe it or not, the truth of the matter is that this type of relationship is something that you've given to every single one of us. Um, Jesus, you, you were the one who did this first. And when we think about you, the truth is, God, that you invited all of us in. Jesus, the Bible tells us that you left the luxuries of heaven, that you came to earth 
that you, you were the one who initiated a friendship and a relationship with us. That was you. And Father, you, you invited us in. But not only that, the Bible tells us that you poured yourself out for our sake. The Bible tells us that you gave us the example of a holy life. The Bible explains to us that you demonstrated grace and mercy, truth and love. You, you showed us what that looks like in real time. God, you poured yourself out for us on the cross, giving your very life for our sake. And then Jesus, you didn't stop there, but you built us up. You gave us your Holy Spirit. You gave us spiritual gifts. You've given us one another so that we could have everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus, you are the true example of this, Father. You invested in us. You invited us in. You poured yourself out and you built us up. And I pray, Jesus, that out of a response of love and as a response of appreciation for what you've done for us, that we would do the same thing. Help us to get out of ourselves. But the truth is that, uh, the truth is that we are naturally and, uh, and given to our own proclivities. We are selfish people. And uh, Father, Father, you've called us to something different, to a life of transparency, to a life of selfless living. And the truth is, like you said, Christ, it's only when we lose ourselves that we find ourselves. Proverbs says, he who refreshes others refreshes himself. And the truth is, Jesus, that for many of us, that's the next step we need to make in our life to look around and ask, who can we invite in? Who can we pour out? Who can we build up and to help in those things? And so God, I pray that you'd help us in that. I pray that you would uh, give us the courage and strength that we need to do that. And Father, as a result of it, I pray that you'd transform our hearts. And so Lord, we, we thank you for the way that you've invested in us. I pray that you'd help us to invest in others. We pray these things in the name of Christ.